From the Pulliam Center for Contemporary Media at DePaul University, I'm JNP, and this is Modern Media. It just seemed to me to be kind of a waste of time to put up a test pattern and tell the world you have to sleep. At a minimum, there are at least a million TV sets on all night long somewhere in the country. That became our mantra. We're going to serve those many. My guest today is Bill Rasmussen. In the summer of 1978, Bill Rasmussen hatched what is surely one of the most impactful innovations in the history of television, the 24-hour sports network known as ESPN. Prior to launching ESPN, Rasmussen had a career as a radio and television sportscaster and then as the communications director for the New England Whalers hockey team. In addition to founding ESPN itself, Rasmussen also developed the idea for the network's flagship brand, SportsCenter, as well as wall-to-wall NCAA men's basketball coverage and coverage of the College Baseball World Series. His latest venture is called Hometown Networks. It's an online streaming business aimed at local sports coverage. Bill Rasmussen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Jonathan. So I want to get right into it and maybe start with some uh, well-trodden uh, ground with you and talk about ESPN. Uh, as the founder of ESPN, I want to ask you, when you first hatched the idea or started thinking about the idea for ESPN, what was the broadcasting and cable landscape like that made it seem like this could work? Well, basically, the television business was an 18-hour-a-day business. The, uh, all the ground rules came from the three networks in New York. And, of course, they figured at 1 o'clock at night in New York, the whole world stopped. But it was really only 10 o'clock on the West Coast. And you go another step further, there are people who work three shifts. Some of them don't get off until 11 o'clock at night. And they're still wide awake. And TV shut down at 1 o'clock Eastern time. And they were trying to figure out ways to do things on the West Coast. And there were some tape delays and so on that they worked. But it just seemed that, and I had been in television by, at that time for about 15 years there, 14 years, I guess. And uh, it just seemed to me to be kind of a waste of time to put up a test pattern and tell the world you have to sleep. So we talked to a lot of people. I'm not sure the statistic is really validated, but we came up with this answer when somebody said, why go all night? And we said, well, at a minimum, there are at least a million TV sets on all night long somewhere in in the country, people coming home from work and so on. That became our mantra. We're going to serve those million. <laughs> and uh, we don't know whether it's a million or 10 million or maybe nobody. We didn't have any idea. So that's what we, we took to the marketplace and said, we're going to do this 24 hours a day. And then, of course, you know, the, the first question was, where are you going to find all the sports to do something 24 hours a day? There just aren't that many. It can't be. Well, they obviously took us about a day or two to come up with the NCAA so we, we researched that and discovered that they had sanctioned 116,000 events the, the year before, NCAA schools in all sports. Well, there are only 8,760 hours in a year, and out of if 116,000 events were 10 minutes each, we could fill the time. And our whole idea right from the beginning was basically college sports. We knew that someday we would talk about professional sports, but we wanted to reach the parents, families, hometowns, and so on of college athletes, not just the big game on Saturday afternoon. The networks and the landscape, as you put it in those days, they only did about 25 football games a season. Today, ESPN does nearly 400, or some, I guess more than 425 games. Yeah, and so that's interesting that it was a, 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 the idea was to serve college uh, first, and that, that the NCAA gave you 
a real window or a real opportunity to expand to offer the the kinds of sports you did. And I imagine that the the other thing part of that was that the contracts for the major sports uh, leagues were probably um, pretty prohibitive at that time. You're right; they were, Jonathan. And the uh, I remember Pete Rosell, who was a very successful National Football League commissioner after being the PR guy for the old American Football League, met with him in New York in the summer of 1979. And uh, he listened, and he was the first of the major sports to really listen. And he didn't just pat me on the head and send me out the door. He said he really liked the idea, and he said, not today, but someday, Bill. And I said, thank you, Pete. We went away. And then 2005, well, they did do some regular season games before that. But yeah. in 2005, they acquired the rights to begin Monday Night Football in 2006. So someday arrive. And did that have anything to do as well with the, the relationship between ABC and ESPN? Because Monday Night Football had been an ABC property, right? Right. It was yeah. an ABC property. Uh, I don't know what the mechanics were in 2005, but in when we were talking to them back in the 1979, the early 80s, we had no relationship with anybody. I mean, we yeah. were we were the you know forgotten stepson, I guess, out in the out in the out in the prairie someplace. So um, technologically, uh, it seemed like satellite was the real driver for cable, right? So that the satellite technology that allowed uh, national distribution as opposed to local distribution of broadcast signals was the real driver for cable. Was that is that accurate? Absolutely, and a lot of people don't know the part of the story that they had launched launched. Uh, couple of satellites, SATCOM 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Hard to believe I was there when they launched 1 and 2. Today, I don't know how many there are. But anyway, they launched one in 19, the end of 1975, and it was still flying around half empty. Mm. So they had invested a lot of money, and they were getting no return on it. When we announced that we were going to do 24-hour sports, we had this idea. Unknown to us, RCA became an instant enthusiast of ours. Because here was an opportunity for them to take that satellite. There were uh, 24 transponders on each satellite launch then. And I don't know, they told us, and I don't know what the reason was, but they said we killed one transponder on launch, whatever that meant. But they had 23 available. 12 of them were used by the U.S. military, and the other 11 were just empty. And then uh, Ted Turner got the passive common carrier rule passed, so his, his station out of Atlanta could be repeated. But he couldn't, he couldn't alter it. It had to be just repeated by rote. So when we announced the uh, idea of 24 hours a day, the RCA vice president for finance, uh, I remember calling and wanting to meet with us, and I couldn't understand why. And he said, we want you to succeed. What can we do to help? Couldn't nice. be any better than that. So when you mentioned Turner Channel, TBS, uh, or WTBS at that time, it's a broadcast station, so they were under a certain kind of regulatory restrictions. Strictly, strict restrictions. And so you, um, without a broadcast signal, right, were under a different set of rules, right? Yep. All we had to do was convince cable operators. We could put the signal all over North America, and all we had to do was convince the cable operators to get a five-meter dish to take the signal down, and we would give them a new avenue. We thought it would be a great new avenue, and I spent a lot of time in Denver talking to cable operators, trying to convince them. And they were the toughest part of the cell, believe it or not, were the local cable operators. I was going to ask you, how, how was that? Uh, what, were their re- what, was, what was their resistance? 
It was significant because they were so happy just putting a signal up and cashing checks. They didn't do any production. They didn't do anything. And so I remember one meeting in Denver, and I can't, I, if I knew which, if I remember which one it was, I'd tell you, but uh, I was talking, and the gentleman sitting across from me said, well, yeah, you know, we've heard about this 24 hours. Tell me about it. So I was pointed out to him that we're going to do this and this. And, and I said, and here's the best part. And I was really enthused. Here's the best part. We're going to give you some local avails so that you can put, you can have local advertisers yeah. in whatever game we're doing. And his answer was, why would I want to do that? <laughs> I said, what? He said, why would I want to do that? He said, I'd have to hire somebody to sell the advertising. I said, here's an idea. And I, I was really, I was probably insulting to him. I said, here's an idea. If he sells something for $100, give him 10 and you keep 90 How about that? There was a lot of silence. And he said, well, we'll talk about that as time goes on. And today, I suppose, local cable advertising is into the billions. But he didn't want to, he saw no advantage to having a local availability. They were, they were really... They were really happy to be just a signal repeater mm -hmm. in those days, if that's the proper phrase. Yeah, so, and, and I know that in the earliest days of cable, even in the 50s, they were really just there to get were, broadcast signals into difficult broadcast areas. Right. And, and so, then that expanded to bring more broadcast signals. You know, we lived in the, in the Hartford area that we only got three signals. Uh, you know, the, most of them had no signals. When I was in the Air Force in Florida in the late 1950s, we had one we, we could, if the weather was right and the wind was blowing east to west or west to east, I guess we could get the Pensacola station, and that was about it. So then ESPN obviously emerges into the dominant player in cable. But now we're in a different world. So cable is starting to uh, wane a little bit. We're starting mm -hmm. to see over-the-top uh, technologies where broadcasting is really struggling um, in the face of streaming and um, internet distribution. So now you're in a new venture, this Hometown Networks, right? Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about that, how that fits in. Well, we haven't, we haven't decided yet how it's okay. going to fit in. We have to <laughs> get some reaction. We have a, uh, a group in Arizona that is very, very enthused about this. The, the, the basic premise is not a whole lot different than ESPN was. We wanted, with ESPN, we wanted to bring sports to your local franchise area, if you will. Mm. Well, basically what we've done is replace the, quote, franchise area with hometown. And you can have, a, in Greencastle, Indiana, I don't know if there's a men's softball league or a, kid, mm -hmm. a kid's little league or a rec, rec park or wherever kids, bicycle races, I don't know, whatever they might be. And we now have the technology to go out with a simple iPad and shoot that and put it in a, in your case, a map with Greencastle and you can see everything. And somebody goes traveling to... Poughkeepsie or El Paso, and they have a relative in Greencastle. They can go to the Greencastle and see whatever whatever it is. Okay, so you is a subscription service where you subscribe into um, a local. We everybody every local hometown gets to manage the signal, however they, the the okay. signal or the content, I should okay. say, however they wish. So if I lived in, I, so I live in Terre Haute. If I'm uh, somewhere else and I want to watch a game that's going on with my kids mm -hmm. and someone is there to do it, they can set up, uh, they can get it on the schedule, right? right? And then um, I can log in. I have an account. You have an account to log in and for the first, I, I, I don't know that we've settled on the exact number of days that it's mm -hmm. free, but then it's on demand for, you know, 99 cents or whatever. Oh, okay. Uh, forever. And any content that you put in the, quote, Terre Haute, package yeah. the Terre Haute hometown network is there forever and if you want to go back and 
Remember that play Charlie made, you know, four years ago? We had that one. Let's go see if it's still there. And so okay. I don't know if it's 99 cents or 49 cents or whatever. Sure. You, can, you, can go, you can go find it. And so the, the question I want to follow up with on that is what distinguishes this Cause, uh, from something like a Facebook Live or a YouTube streaming? What, what, what distinguishes this from that? Because it sounds like it is. It's going to be different. Yeah. It, uh, we don't, I don't know, I, I don't mean to be picking on Facebook or anybody, but it's, <laughs> it's a, it covers, it's, it's just there for yeah. everything in the Western world and, and the globe. Whereas we're trying to, one of the things we do by doing this is we're producing, one of the elements is to produce, and it's, we're already doing it, uh, highlight reels for kids trying to get to college, for coaches to, to look at, for scouts to, to review it could be it could be some kid in the eighth grade it could be some kid in the senior in high school or or we can also look back when you know when you were in high school and say talk to you about memories of then and how it compares to now so it's it's not facebook it might seem facebook ish because everything is out there these days everything is in the public domain so to speak but we want to keep it as we as we envision it, it will be sports of from the you know. Do you have a hot little league team? Mm-hmm. Do you have a travel little league team? Yeah. Parents get all involved in those things. And so all it takes is one person just with just an iPad. One person with an, an iPad, app, right? Yep. And okay. Way, we did a we did a uh, a uh, demonstration for a school district in California back in March, I guess it was. And while it was happening, they had a halftime three-point shooting contest and one of the uh, Lakers was there and they it was this fun thing challenging the kids and the kid that won actually scored more one more three-pointer and, the, nice. and his father walked over immediately and said if you got a tape of that can I get a tape <laughs> of that and that's that kind of helped build the whole idea those are the kind of you know we're building memories yeah. of, of your hometown well, I like it too because I mean, with Facebook Live and those things, they are uh, relatively ephemeral, and you have to be somebody's friend or connected into yeah. them somehow to have access to it. This sounds like it's more of an opt-in thing. I want to see that, right? I'd like, you know, and someone's there, and I know it's on the schedule. Um, one last question about this: Do we know yet how the um, different local areas are going to be managed in terms of who sets the schedule and who determines what can go on and or is it, is we, it wide open it's it's pretty wide open but we will have i mean we're not we're not going to get involved there is an approval process you mm-hmm. can't just do anything you want and, and yeah. well you know, that's I, smart that's the obvious <laughs> because we don't want to follow down the path of, the, of you know, we talk no. about facebook they have some problems along the way absolutely and uh, so we will have some standards and review before anything happens. Well, it sounds like we're on the brink of uh, reinventing local television again, which I find fascinating. So um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this plays out. Well, we think it's important. I mean, you know, this is this is where mo- most people spend uh, the majority of their life in one hometown or near one hometown or remembering that hometown. Mm-hmm. And I remember in Y2K years back in 2000, which only certain of us remember. Uh, the New York Times ran an article talking about developments in the 20th century. And ESPN was one of the four that they mentioned. And they mm-hmm. said, we will soon be at the stage where every athlete, high school or any age, will be walking around with a camera on his back and we will be able to see his every move from the time he starts playing a game. And we're getting pretty close to that. Yeah, it sounds like we are. 
<laughs> Amazingly. Yeah. Well, Bill Merasmussen, thank you so much for being on our podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Jonathan. It's, uh, it's fun to be here. And that'll do it for another installment of Modern Media. Our guest today has been Bill Rasmussen, the founder of ESPN. To find out more about Bill Rasmussen and his latest venture, Hometown Networks, you can visit us at our website, www.modernmediapodcast.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Our episode today was produced by Laurel Tilton, Meredith Breda, and Jay Klein. Our website is managed by Chris Newton. Until next time, this is JNP for Modern Media. Modern Media.